The Way Out Podcast, episode 80. It took a link out of the chain uh, of the, you know, repeat pattern of drinking, you know, and uh, fucking up and then drinking and fucking up and then drinking. I spent the next 12, 13 years in recovery, not drinking, but really not touching any of the stuff that was fueling my addiction. Like, okay, I'm not drinking, I'm not drugging, but why am I still miserable? Why do I still have all this misery in my life? And I was going to AA, and I had a sponsor, and I was working the steps, and but there was really no self-awareness. When we get sober, I always say, like, we're, some of us are dropped, you know, if you could think of a drop zone, some of us are dropped, you know, 200 miles away, and some of us are dropped kind of near the camp, you know? I was like in the next state. You know, I was very far from where I need to be, which is my sense of form and my being. Um, So I had to make a lot of mistakes in sobriety. Welcome. Thank you for joining us on this week's installment of The Way Out, sharing stories from people just like you who have recovered from alcoholism and other addictions. The Way Out does not speak on behalf of nor are we affiliated with the 8012-step organization. Our purpose is to share with you, one episode at a time, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. The Way Out Podcast is sponsored by Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous, online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check out the official website of the Way Out Podcast at www.wayoutcast.com. There you will find links to our latest episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Radio FM. You can also follow The Way Out Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Help us get the message out that lifelong recovery from alcoholism and addiction is possible by giving us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and I'll be your host for this week's episode where we bring you part two of my amazing chat with Leanne. Leanne's story is so instructive in a great many ways, as she shares her first 13 years of recovery in a state of physical sobriety and emotional inebriety. Leanne's path was hard won, with lessons learned in spiritual and self-truths acquired while wandering in the often dark and foreign wilderness of sobriety. Listen up. No, I'm impatient. They said, do you want to go to Minnesota or do you want to go to Miami? And I'm being the alcoholic. What do you think I said? I said, Miami. Yeah, Miami. <laughs> Hello. So actually, the night I arrived at rehab, so I brought my daughter to my sister. My sister took care of my daughter. I arrived at the rehab, and it was actually the night of, do you remember the Rodney King riots? Absolutely. So I was there in Miami for that. And that was the first night I was there. And I remember thinking, sitting in the day room, thinking if I could tie the curtains together, uh, you know, I could shimmy down uh, outside, out the window, and, and, you know, Miami's going to be rocking tonight. Sounds like it's yeah. <laughs> For whatever reason, couldn't, couldn't get that plan together. So I right. stayed, and I don't really remember, uh, you know, learning anything earth-shattering other than, um, you know, it took a link out of the chain 
uh, of the you know repeat pattern of drinking you know and uh, fucking up and then drinking and fucking up and then drinking um, right. so it took that link out of the chain and it just helped me not to drink for a while you know went home uh, picked up where I left off but you know and this is an important point that I wanted to make in in my story and for other women especially in recovery I spent the next 12 13 years in recovery not drinking but really not touching any of the stuff that was fueling my addictions okay so that's the other instance huge instance of grace in my life is that uh, somehow I managed to stay sober maybe not emotionally sober but mm. sober during that time mm. um, but I kept repeating the same patterns and and that was becoming very confusing to me like okay I'm not drinking I'm not drugging but why am I still miserable why do I still have all this misery in my life and I was going to AA and I had a sponsor and I was working the steps and but there was really no self-awareness um, still mm -hmm. you know some of us when we get sober I always say like we're some of us are dropped you know if you could think of a drop zone some of us are dropped you know 200 miles away and some of us are dropped kind of near the camp you know I was like in the next state you know I was very <laughs> far away from, yeah. you know, where I need to be which is my sense right. my core my, my being um, so I had to make a lot of mistakes in sobriety so you know I say that for women because um, it's, it can get very confusing um, to be sober and be miserable you know for yeah. year after year after year you know yeah. uh, and, and that was just my journey I'm not judging it I didn't do anything wrong but in, in spite of myself uh, somehow I didn't drink or drug during that time and then I had a sponsor who actually um, literally threw a Codependence Anonymous book into my car and said, read it. <laughs> For this alcoholic, that is the, yeah. my addiction, is, is that, that codependency. So you, you're a double winner, as I like to say. Uh, you have uh, codependency and alcoholism. It's funny, my counselor in outpatient treatment um, extended outpatient took a CODA book right and she said it, it was hers right so I want you to take this home and I want you to read the things that you know there's this passage right where you know if you feel like this if you thought this if you this if you this right. if you this if you this if you this right uh, the sort of litmus test for codependency right uh, and uh, she uh, um, she said, if it makes you really angry and you want to throw the book across the room, right. it, might, it might warrant further investigation for you. Right. right. And it did. I read it and I got straight pissed. Uh, oh, yeah. Like, here's another just, thing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Just pissed. You know, right? but Charlie, but, do you know what the thing is, though? People think it's another thing. And this is a lot of the work that I do. People think it's another thing, but it's not another thing. It's the same thing. It's just different manifestations of it. Tell so, me, tell me about that. Tell me, okay, tell me. So the relationship, in my experience, and also through my work, I've worked in a lot of um, worked with a lot of women, um, and and coincidentally, like my the work in the field has 
coincided with my sober date. So I've been in the field of addiction for 26 years now, okay? So a lot of the work that I've done with women centers around this idea of, um, and this is recent, this is not, I didn't always know this, but the pain that results in uh, from, from living in codependency, meaning uh, just n the inability to care for yourself and putting, um, having a very unhealthy relationship with yourself, the pain as a result of living that way is what we resort to. That's addiction. Addiction is the thing that shows up at the very outer edge. That's the thing that gets our attention. You know, I'm drinking, I'm falling down, I'm drugging, I'm robbing, I'm sexing, I'm gambling, I'm whatever. Uh, but, you know, you got to go back through the circle. And for, I would say, 100%, I'm just going to say it, of addicts and alcoholics, there's that le that that level underneath. And and it has, and I don't know what you want to call it or whatever, you know, we say codependency so that we know what we're talking about, but really it's an unhealthy relationship with yourself and other people. And these uh, false beliefs that develop and these coping mechanisms that really serve us for a very long time and maybe save our lives, but then no longer become useful, actually become the thing that, that is going to kill us. Bingo, and so well said, Leanne, because I think that when you talk about these sort of instincts that kept us alive, that kept right. us protected, right. that kept us able to survive, survival right. instincts, right, right, that were so useful for us right. in our early development that protected us from a right. lot of pain and, 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 and those kinds of things, loss and all of those things now in adulthood actually are are are, yeah. are absolutely 100% working against our ability to be yeah. okay with ourselves to love ourselves to care for ourselves and to have meaningful relationships with other people exactly yeah the thing the, the thing exactly so you know i don't know if i'm explaining it right but i just know that there's this correlation between family of origin developing into codependent traits which blossom into addiction because we can't handle the pain that comes from living codependently. And code, the thing with codependency is that it was actually started about 30 years ago to deal with the families of alcoholics and addicts. Absolutely. So they recognized that we don't come from a vacuum, we come from a context. So they started to look at the families, you know, and that's where we came from. So for me, for my recovery, I had to see where I came from. Um, so, you know, Al-Anon had a little piece of my story because there was uh, definitely uh, alcoholism in my, but it was more the uh, isms. The don't communicate, don't talk, don't feel, you know, everything's great, nothing's wrong, act as if, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong, pretend, you know, not talk about anything, you know, all that stuff. Um, you know, formulated my mind and formed these false beliefs that I then just took took for granted. Uh, and when I started to try to function in the world, these false beliefs just no longer. And then, and the, pain, and then the pain that comes from that is what we try to anesthetize ourselves from. Bingo! With, and for you, and for right. as you got into recovery, right? 
Um, one of the things I think is so important about, you know, we got to be sober, right? Like, if we're not sober, I've got no prayer on getting better, right? Oh. Alcohol is only mentioned in the first step, and then the rest of it's about, you know, my relationship with my higher power, my relationship with myself, and then my relationship with other people, right? That's the, the yeah. 12 steps in a nutshell, right? And then, you know, rinse and repeat, right? Like, I got to get right with, you know, I got to surrender, and then I got to get right with whatever uh, God of uh, my understanding I can, that works for me. Mm-hmm. And then I got a clean house. I got I got I got to shed the guilt and the shame, and I got to understand how I showed up uh, to myself and to other people in relationships. And then I got to get right with myself and other people. Right. So um, I spent a year plus in my uh, early recovery in therapy too, and I think that's an important message for people is that. The, the you you know the be at the twelve steps or you know, whatever recovery model you might be working, mm-hmm. um, you know there's no miracle salve that's going to fix everything, right? Like mm-hmm. you know you've got to be able to be willing to do whatever it takes in order mm-hmm. to get better, right? And in order yeah. and what I and I say to get well, right? right. Like I, I'm I'm on a path to wellness, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not, um, my goal isn't sobriety. Mm-hmm. My goal is wellness. You know, I yeah. gotta be sober or I got no prayer to be well, yeah. right? Yeah. I just have no prayer. Uh, yeah. But uh, I could still I could still be sober and I could still be unwell. Uh, like you talked about, Leanne, that time that you had that, you know, you were sober, but for, for uh, in, in many ways you were not well yet. Oh, no. I was not well, and, uh, you know, AA is a perfect place to, to, to hang out with other people who are, who are unwell. There's, oh, you know, so, you know? I'm, I'm glad you say that because, you know... Uh, uh, and the, I, don't, it, I don't say that in a disparaging way. I'm saying, no, because, it, you know, I'm laughing about it because somehow we muddled through, and, know, and all, exactly. these, all these... All these sickies try to make a welly, and yeah. <laughs> uh, somehow, somehow it, it, you know, it it works in spite of yeah. us. Right, uh, right, you know. right. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you know, the uh, 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 the rooms of twelve step recovery uh, are not uh, the you know sort of uh, uh, Shangri La of. You know, wellness. It's not uh, a hotbed of mental health, as I always Definitely say. Not. It's not yes, a hotbed of mental health. <laughs> you know, but I or, emotion, or emotional stability yeah. or any of that. Right. But you know yeah. what? It was a room. I got sober in New York, old school, in a church basement, yeah. filled with smoke, uh, yeah. red walls. They were painted like this murderous red color for whatever reason. <laughs> and uh, people were coming in off the street detoxing, and, and, and it was old school AA. It uh, wasn't given that people would go to detox or the 28-day program. I mean, it was just sit down, take the cotton out of your mouth or whatever that expression is, stick yeah, it in your mouth. take the cotton out of your ears and stick ear. it in your mouth. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. You don't speak until you have 30 days, and then you just introduce yourself. And, you know, it was like that. Um, and that's what I needed, you know, and, and, and I had fun. And, um, and you oh, realized well. you weren't alone, and you realized uh, that there was other oh, people that felt what you felt, that uh, did what you did, 
right? So like, I am not. Yeah. 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 It's like, okay, I'm not alone. And, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, my daughter kind of grew up in AA. I used to take her to meetings. I was very active. Um, So, you know, that was fine. That was that phase of my recovery. And then when I needed to start to, needed to change on the inside because I was going to drink again. I knew I was going to drink again because uh, misery for us is not uh, an option. I cannot. It's not sustainable. I cannot be miserable and sober. Sober. I cannot. It's not. It, a misery is a luxury I cannot afford even today. So. And I love that, Leanne, because that's absolutely 100% my gig, and uh, I relate to that on such a fundamental level. I cannot do sober and miserable. No. No. Some one's got to give. Yeah, I'll drink. So, I'll just drink. Yeah. Right. Or I got it. Yeah. Or I got to figure out how not to be miserable right. while I'm sober. And then, and that's when I got into the work of, um, out of necessity, because I had involved myself with a psychopath, <laughs> and it was either going to be him or me, and I uh, got into the work of Codependence Anonymous, and for me, I'm just saying for me, for this alcoholic, that was the thing that turned the, the key to have me start looking on the inside to see that, oh, the change comes from within, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and and oh my God, it was like a it was like a life preserver uh, because I was going through some really um, traumatic things. Um, and I would open that language of letting go, codependent. You know, and I'm not you know promoting any one program. Just for me, there was this one particular devotional where I hung on to it like a life raft because it was telling me about myself. And it, I was reading about myself, and it was like there's hope. Just like the big book, the bells were going off when I opened that up. I mean, there was bells going off everywhere. Right. And that hope comes in where you're like, I'm reading about myself. And other right. people have gotten better, and this is kind of a nuanced thing. It's not as obvious as you drink, you fall down, and you got to stop. This it's more subversive than that. It's more... Well, it's it's yeah. more deep and it's more subtle and it's more uh, cunning and baffling and powerful. You know, so it was like, I'm okay, I'm reading about myself here. Maybe there is hope. And, um, so I think you got to another, another sort of surrender point. I did, you know, and then I started to change within and then my life started to reflect that, you know, so then my jobs got healthier, my relationships got healthier, my, um, my health got healthier, my, Lots of things changed. Tell yeah. me, Leanne, uh, for those in the Way Out podcast audience, what the some of the maybe some of the fundamental differences between like an Al-Anon and a, a Codependence Anonymous, right? Because for mm-hmm. you know uh, for many of us, it sounds like it might be the same thing, but oh, um, Al-Anon and Codependence Anonymous. Yeah. No, so uh, to deal with an addict or an alcoholic in, in your life, you know, to deal with yourself, but you're acknowledging that an addict or an alcoholic has affected your life, um, and it's all it's all about um, how you react to that, and 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 um, uh, you know, having a good relationship with yourself. Codependent uh, codependency it deals with um, the behaviors that we engage in 
that arise out of these uh, false beliefs that we've taken on. So it's just a way to have a healthy relationship with ourselves and other people. Um, so then you avoid a lot of the pain that comes from not taking care of yourself. So in other words, um, let's say, uh, for example, when I was first sober, uh, I would get involved with people who kind of reflected back to me how I felt about myself. So I, I was involved with an abusive man, right? Because that was in line with my own self-image, right? So uh, this is in this isn't sobriety, yeah. okay? So uh, with that example, uh, that book saved my life because I realized that I could put myself first, and that all the things that I was hearing about myself from this other person, it just gave me another way to look at it like maybe that isn't true like maybe that isn't true maybe you can consider something else so um, all these beliefs that you held about yourself right were starting to maybe be challenged they right? were being challenged and it was saving my life yeah. it was saving my life because i was going to go back to drinking and drugging if i could if couldn't get out from under this and, it and you were thinking it. It wasn't right. him. I invited right. him into my life on some right. level. I don't right. even think about him anymore. It, right. Like I, that was like a blip in the screen. That's another thing I look back on and I think, who was what? What was that about? You know, like right. what? You know, right. Uh, unrecognizable, right. right? But that's what that is the depth that I had to go to to actually see myself. Like, I was going to run into the person that I needed to run into that was going to show me what I needed to see about myself. And in order that's for you to needed. be able to start making the changes and doing the work that you need to, to do in order to, to get better. Up. Yeah. To wake up. Yeah. So tell me, as you are now waking up, and I think of recovery very much like that, Leanne, the, uh, the, the metaphor of waking up, right? And that we just don't yeah. pop out of bed, you know, and we're wide awake, ready to rock and roll, right? No, waking up is a process. Believe me. Um, uh, ask my kids what I'm like in the morning. It's a process, right? Uh, but so is the spiritual awakening that occurs within the recovery process. And it can happen over a, a long period That's of time, right. right? And we're continuing to, to have these sort of, you know, phases of our awakening. And you had a beautiful, beautiful awakening, you know, uh, from a spiritual perspective. Just beautiful. Uh, this awakening where you're able to live sober and you're able to, you know, uh, start practicing the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, but there's parts of you that still aren't well. And then the ability to be able to have this, you know, second awakening, right, where you're able to really yeah. truly you know, start doing the work that's going to allow you to be able to be the person that, you know, the, the God of your understanding had always intended you to be, right? That was always in there. That was, you know, that was always out there for you, right? And the second awakening allowed you to be able to sort of embrace this, this, this person that had always been there uh, and stop believing the lies that everybody else was, was telling you and embracing the spiritual mm -hmm. truth that uh, that you're beautiful, that you're worth love, that you're that 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 you know you are a, a worthwhile uh, and a person worth loving, 
and you started to do that first like you loved yourself first right and then attracted other people in your life well love self-love self-love came um what had to happen for me first was self-acceptance i would hear the term self-love and i would like cringe because i could never even imagine them it would be like oh like you know uh, but I could accept myself. I worked towards self-love from self-acceptance. I started there. And, and how did that grow into self-love? Um, well, you know, it, again, um, time. You know, time and hanging in there and not drinking a day at a time. And staying sober has turned me on to a lot of different um paths of recovery there's no one way to get sober so you know from uh you know people who inspire me to books to my work to um you know different uh geographical uh you know a move um you know my life just kind of blossomed and opened up and and recovery um you know i shouldn't say recovery but you know stopping drinking yeah. has enabled me to do that you know so it's like came came to came to believe right. um, that is what I've experienced it just took me a while to that that came to part you know from came to came to right. for me was about 12 13 years right and then from you know I'm, I'm uh, a day at a time I'm sober for 25 years now so from 13 to 25 uh, this has all come to believe. Right. That's what this part is. Right, right. And, yeah. you know, I feel like when we are uh, come to that belief, right, that, you know, um, uh, the we dispel and shed the sort of, you know, um, uh, uh, beliefs that we had about ourselves. Um, yes. You know, and we're, we start to embrace our own spiritual truth and start to embrace the the, the gifts that mm-hmm. are given to us, right? And be able to use those gifts in a way that positively, you know, impacts the world around us, right? Yeah. Um, we start feeling worthwhile. We start feeling like we are worthwhile in a way that we've never felt before. Can you identify that with that, Leanne? This process of, you know, sort of embracing who you are and what you can contribute? We'll be right back with the conclusion of my discussion with Leanne as we take a short break for this week's Recovery Revealed, where we take a closer look at a particular aspect of recovery. A compelling and poignant definition of spirituality popularized by Brene Brown is quite apropos as it relates to recovery. It reads, Spirituality is recognizing and celebrating that we are all inextricably connected to each other by a power greater than all of us, and that our connection to that power and to one another is grounded in love and compassion. Practicing spirituality brings a sense of perspective, meaning, and purpose to our lives. For those of us 
whom are recovering from addiction and or alcoholism, spirituality is indispensable as a means of tapping into a power far greater than ourselves in order to arrest our disease. It's common for those of us whom have developed a relationship with a power greater than ourselves to begin to understand that this power often speaks through the mouths and hearts of other people. We hear just what we need to hear from perhaps the most unexpected person at a recovery meeting. We hear spiritual truths through spoken and written word, language of the heart, that cuts through to the very core of what it means to experience the human condition. Addiction and alcoholism is very much a disease of isolation, a feeling far too familiar for many of whom have walked through the painful seclusion of the soul only addiction can inflict upon us. My first loves were the chemical numbing agents that masqueraded euphoria as love and oblivion as freedom only served to send me further into isolation, into a loneliness that could only be relieved by a true connectedness to a power greater than myself and to my fellow brothers and sisters on this journey called life. It is a basic and fundamental human need to have a sense of belonging, a sense of connection to something bigger than we are. The 12-step recovery program and the fellowships that surround them provide us with the antidote to the bitter morass of isolation and loneliness. We learn how to connect to a power greater than ourselves. We shed shame, guilt, and pain in favor of a newfound connection to our brothers and sisters in recovery and to a God of our own understanding. Now back to the conclusion of my interview with Leanne. Listen up. I feel blessed for having the opportunity to sort of seamlessly incorporate my recovery into what I do for a living. I can help other al alcoholics and, and addicts, um, you know, uh, in my work and get paid for it. Um, I can have discussions like this with people like you. Um, that meaningful discussion, gratitude. I used to hear people talk about it in meetings and it wasn't until probably about 15 years into recovery that I actually felt gratitude. And I was like, oh, I felt it. Don't forget the way we get the message out to those who still suffer is to give this podcast a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. Oh, I can, I can, I, it's coming in glimpses, you know, um, you know, uh, and time doesn't mean anything. People may look at 25 years and say, wow, 25, but it's been a very slow recovery for me. So I am not at the point where like, um, you know, I'm at the point where I finally, I know what I'm good at. I feel blessed for having the opportunity to sort of seamlessly incorporate my recovery into what I do for a living. I can help other al alcoholics and, and addicts, um, you know, uh, in my work and get paid for it. Um, I can have discussions like this with people like you, um, that meaningful discussions. Um, I can I can appreciate things that I never could before, like uh, gratitude. I used to hear people talk about it in meetings, and it wasn't until probably about 15 years into recovery that I actually felt gratitude. And I was like, oh, I felt it. I was like, <laughs> I finally felt it, you know? I was yeah. like, okay, now I know what you're talking about, you know? 
Uh, and it wasn't anything major. It was just something very small. And I was like, oh, I think it's happening. You know, I could feel it. And finally, it was like, okay, I'm beginning to feel human, like a member of this. That I know what they're talking about now. So for me, it's I can identify with that that awakening, um, but it's still constantly happening, and it's still constantly going away. Yeah. You know, it ebbs and flows. Definitely. You know, it ebbs and flows. Oh, uh, but I can say, but I can say that. Um, you know, the came to believe part, the believe is, I, I don't believe, it's not that I believe in any one thing. What my belief now is, is that, um, you know, I'm going to be okay no matter what comes down the pike. That, to me, that's belief, you know. And, and that only comes from listening to other people, letting something else in besides my own craziness, right? So that's my higher power is came to believe that I can have a different experience of life. It really, you know? really illustrates it sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Piece of this. Oh, thing. my God. Yeah, right? I mean, like, you know, it, it oh is... My God. Yeah, yeah. And the, the longer I'm in my recovery, sponsor, and the longer she, I'm sober, I realize yeah. that that's what that is. Like, we're not, it's not going to materialize yeah. all, you know, in the first, you know, 90 days. Like, this is a process. Oh my God. Well, for some people, maybe. I don't know. It's like, I don't know. It's deeply personal. It's like, that's why I love recovery. That's why it's fascinating to me. Because, um, you know, just as every person has a different way of drinking and drugging, every person has a different recovery. Right. And it's just the endless possibilities. So it's like, uh, that's why it's always fascinating to me with, to work with people, to work with clients, to, to meet people, to hear stories. Um, because each story, you know, like you were saying, we have a lot in common with each other, but there's also just these wildly different experiences of recovery, you know. And that's it's what's just, so instructive about it. And that's what I love about our stories. Yeah. Because... You know, uh, yeah. like you, Leanne, who has this unique story about being sober for, you know, uh, 13, 12, 13 years, right? Um, and then have the second awakening that's unique, right? And, yeah. you know, that to me right. really uh, helps us understand that the recovery, uh, recovery in, in and of itself is a is a spectrum right like a spectrum of experiences yeah. and a spectrum and we don't all recover on the same timeline in the same way um, no uh, and, and things and, don't and happen not, here's another thing it's not linear ah, see people think it's a linear right process. a it's to not. b to it's c circular. to d right like i yeah right you have to keep circling back around and looking at the same thing over and over again. It's like climbing a mountain and you keep going around it and you keep seeing that thing again. And you keep, there it is again. There it, it's circular. It's not linear. And, and, you know, and that leads me to another point, which is, you know, people get really hung up on relapses. Now, relapses, you know, it can just be a relapse. And you can just get up and keep on going. And, and, and not give it so much power. Now, in my own particular story, I didn't relapse. But that wasn't a conscious thing. For whatever reason, I didn't relapse. But a lot of the people I work with, they get very um, discouraged and down on themselves. And 
you know, get get stuck in that, you know. And they and they get mired in it, right? Like instead of really picking up sort of where they left off, right? Because that stuff doesn't go away when right. we relapse, right? Our disease does, kicks back that's in. That's a very good point. Exactly. But, you don't lose it. No. You don't lose it. We can take what we learn and yeah, and reinvest it right in um, in our recoveries again. Yeah, and I always tell people this is this this will be to you what you want it to be. This relapse. This will be to you what you want it to be. Now, either it's going to be like life ending and dramatic, and oh my god, and you know what's the use, or it can be like okay, I do what most alcoholics and addicts do. I relapse. Now, you know what's next. Move on. And that's the yeah. thing I think is yeah. important to understand is that. Uh, you know, being sober is the aberration for us. You know, uh, yes. that's the aberration, right? So to get down on yourself because you, quote, relapsed or drank and used. And, you know, not that I want to, you know, uh, embrace relapse or, or let me put it a different way. Not, no. that, I, not that I'm recommending no. relapse. I, you know, I'm no, not that's not right. Not no. at all. No, no, but I guess another way to, to put it is like um, a lot of people, I see them getting hung up on, see, because our disease is a disease of the mind, right? So I see them going into this place where, like, I wonder if I'm going to relapse again. Mm -hmm. So what I try to help people do is like, okay, are you relapsing now in this moment? Right. right. No. Okay, are you relapsing now? Right. right. No. Right. Are you sober now? Right. No. Right. Okay, and then they see, like, okay, I'm just doing a mind fuck on myself, yep. essentially, by saying, you know, it's our other self saying, ooh, I bet you're going to drink again. Right. Ooh, when you, you're not going to stay sober. You have to stay, you know, it's right. that constant chatter. Right. So you just put that to rest and say, you know what, thanks for sharing, but, you know, I'm not relapsing right now. And it's, the, it's almost like a, just a manifestation of the obsession, the relapsed thoughts, right? It and is. that in that it's way us. we can apply right. we can apply program to that right that we can you know we can use higher power we can you know uh, go to a meeting with talk to a sponsor but there's program that we can apply to some of that sort of the manifestations of the obsession that sort of you know is a hallmark of our disease right uh, from that perspective right it's it's us. It's us being mean to ourselves. We, right. we terrorize ourselves with our thoughts. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're very mean to ourselves and our thinking. So you have to think, okay, if I had a friend who relapsed, would I be like hanging over their shoulder saying, oh, I bet you're not going to stay sober. You didn't stay sober. Oh, when are you going to drink again? You know, you wouldn't be doing that to support that person. So as you would treat others, treat yourself. Bingo. That's such a great way to look at that, Leanne. That's one of the tools I yeah. learned in therapy was... Uh, my therapist sort of, you know, walking through with me, um, um, you know, how would you treat, how, what would you say to you, your younger self, right? Uh, I guess right. the way she positioned it was, how would, how, what would you say if this was your child that was going through what you went through? Right. Exactly. And like this, the, oh my yeah. God, like this thing just like yeah. plunked in my brain and I'm like, Wow! 
I would, exactly. I would, I would be there, and I would be compassionate, and I would be understanding, and I would, you know, with love and acceptance, and all these things right. that I don't give myself, right? Like all these things exactly. that I that I don't uh, that I don't accommodate uh, for myself, right? So it was a really, really right. important um, and instructive uh, experience to. Yeah go back to the proverbial inner child and be it, no it's okay yes, it's okay and everything's yeah. gonna be okay yeah. and it's you're okay exactly. and everything's gonna be okay right exactly. uh and sort of like this sort of like <sighs> came yeah. over me right the sense of peace yeah. came over me because yeah. i no longer I, it was no. I, I allowed myself to be um, um, a, a vulnerable child who didn't yeah. know how to cope. Right. Exactly. You know, um, Charlie. This. It's. You know. There's just too many things to say about recovery. You know. Um, but you know, I'm going down. I'm down all these tangents. The things that you're talking about. Um, you know, another big piece of my recovery, and I used to hear that term inner child, and I'm telling you, the same thing would happen to me that used to happen when I heard self-love. It was right. like, ugh, cringe, yeah. like, what yeah. are they talking about, yeah. right? Yeah. So I had to say, okay, not inner child, whatever, just say that the unhealed parts of yourself, yes. right? That that I could deal with, okay? Yeah. You know, maybe not my inner child. It sounded too mushy gushy. Yeah, too you know, sort of whatever. pop psychology, right? Right, but but it is essentially our inner child. It's the unhealed parts of ourselves. It's that younger version of ourselves. And a lot of my growth um, started happening when I when I uh, and this this is the piece with the family of origin, codependency, and addiction thing, is that our job in recovery a lot of what our job is is to reparent ourselves mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and allow so us to, to give ourselves right, the guidance and the, and, right. and, and, we, and the love yeah. and the direction and the support and all of the things that right. we may not have gotten uh for one reason right. or another as, as, as adults yeah. right as adults once now that we know it's our job to reparent ourselves. So we can let all those people off the hook who didn't give us what we needed and you know weren't there for us and that. It's now it's my job to reparent myself. And you know what? I have control over that. Right. So it's a wonderful thing. And I can remember, you know, that this idea of compassion towards yourself, self-compassion was huge for me. And I used to lay in bed and I used to hold my hand. I literally used to hold my hand and pat my hand to calm myself and reassure myself, you know, like you would a child. And it sounds silly, but you know what? It, it really healed a lot in me. Tell me, Leanne, you know? you've got this amazing recovery journey, really, that I, I feel like we could talk about so many, like you said, so many different facets of recovery, and you've been there, and you and you you right. have a, you have an intimate, you have such an intimate sort of uh, uh, personal journey with it, which I think is so great, uh, and you're and you're using that in your in your career 
and in your work yeah. to be able to help others. Uh, tell me, tell me yeah. about that. Well, ever since uh, I started nursing, like when I was in nursing school and I did my psych rotation, I knew that's what I wanted to do, so I became a psych nurse. A lot of nurses, they go on a psych unit and they're like, oh my God, get me off of here. <laughs> what the, what I was like, oh my God, this yeah. is what I want to do. Yeah. These yeah. are my people. Yeah. You know, so I was a psych nurse and then that led, you know, there's a you know strong correlation between psych and substance abuse. So then I started working in addiction treatment centers um, and, you know, program um, development, stuff like that. Um, and then I started working in detoxes when I moved out to Arizona and then um, an opportunity came um, up uh, with a colleague of mine to because uh, I was doing recovery coaching and like consulting for treatment programs and stuff and he started this uh, he's a nurse also so what we do is travel all over the country and go to people's homes and help them to detox from drugs and alcohol and then provide them with whatever they need after, whether it's nothing, like, okay, get me off the drugs and then get out of my house, mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, take me to my meeting, or take me to my therapy appointment, or accompany me to treatment, or, um, you know, uh, but basically I provide medically managed detoxes uh, for people in their own homes. Fantastic, so they're able to detox at home, and then you're able to be able to provide um, you know the guidance or the support that they may need very very early on in order to be able they might yeah. like you said they might tell you to go scram but they also might be in a position <laughs> yeah. where you know they're uh, uh, they're looking for help and they're looking to looking to get well and okay. looking to you know um, looking to get better uh, and you can help them with that because of your uh, uh, your experience your experience strength and hope which I think it's just a beautiful thing it is. It's, uh, it's a wonderful uh, sort of um, gift of sobriety where you know, things have kind of worked seamlessly together where my work is my life and my life is my work and um, that's a gift in and of itself, you know. And it's fulfilling and, and being that you've been seeing, able to, that, that, that codependency work, are you able to detach yeah. and be able to? Oh, oh yeah. I feel like a lot of times I have the secret key, you know, it's like I'm holding the secret key and it's like, should I tell them right. or not, you know, and a lot of times I wouldn't have been ready, you're like, right. I wouldn't have been ready, right. you know, I had to wait 13 years, I had to get my bumps and whatever, but right. um, no, I do in my own way, but more than that, it, you know, this piece of emotional sobriety, if I don't do that work myself, then I'm not emotionally sober and then I'm drinking. So I had to do a lot of work with that because of family issues in recovery where that was bringing me very close to a drink. So I use it more in my personal life, but also I see clients as a recovery coach. So that's a big piece. Right. Uh, I work with women around issues of codependency and addiction. So And that's such huge. an important message and huge. I love having women that have that are in recovery on the podcast because you know the rates are are, are, are actually rather rather um, um, uh, alarming. The rate the, the the recovery rates of women versus men, right? Uh, yeah. The, the the women recover at an alarmingly lower rate than men do. Yeah. Right. Uh, yes. Which and which, I see that in my my practice too. 
that that men are more much more likely to reach out for a detox than women. And, 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 and why do you think that is? I mean, I, 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 you know, I think we're all probably grasping at straws to even try to, you know, get our proverbial head around why that might be. I mean, uh, as a woman in recovery, do, do you have any sense to, as to what contributes to the, you know, the difficulty? I do, because women, uh, we, we are caretakers. Hmm. So, um, and, and men are uh, used to getting taken care of. Hmm. So, and, and I don't say that in a bad way. No. I just, that's just societally, that's the way we've evolved, right? I think men um, can, can um, surrender that part of themselves to be taken care of. Uh, women are traditionally the people who are taking care of other people. So if you're a mother or a wife and you're struggling, uh, you're not going to think like, "Hey, maybe I need to take 28 days and um, you know go take care of myself." You think and there's a way I can do this? I've got a kid and I've got a husband and I've got all this exactly. stuff. Exactly, right. I'm multitasking, right? Right. So right. you know, you know that, and that's that codependency piece where you know people don't think codependency can be deadly, but it can be. So if you're constantly putting other people's needs before your own. I mean, and you've really. got a disease that's killing you. Yes. Right. Yeah. That that that's yeah. a deadly combination. Yeah. So I think women. I think women just um, are like, no, I got it. I can take care of this. I and, got it. And, you and, know. And do you find that there's often a higher occurrence of trauma in with women? Yeah, when it comes to. Uh, women that are in recovery, maybe because you know there there was a, an abuse incident, or you know, often uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I when I blacked out, I I, I didn't have any uh, uh, sexual abuse uh, experiences, right? But I have to mm -hmm. imagine that that has to be a much higher occurrence for a woman. Yeah, just because. Um just um, historically, you know, women without getting in the whole Me Too thing, but, um, right. <laughs> you know, it's, right. you know, it's just, you know, that's it's reality more vulnerable. That's just a reality of... You know, and that's, that's another thing of women taking on these false beliefs that, you know, I am abusable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or so I deserved it, or, you know, right. I can't speak up or you know it's my uncle or it's my father or it's my boss or I mean it was pretty much institutionalized really. if I hadn't I mean, gotten business. drunk then it wouldn't have happened right that kind of thing right it's my fault I'm a slut I'm a whore if I didn't do this and after all I brought it on myself you know and, and men are traumatized you know Absolutely. too but Absolutely. I think I think it occurs more with women only because we're more vulnerable as children and as young people Agreed. Agreed. You know. So, what would be the single biggest piece of advice you would give to a woman who is new in recovery? Oh my God! Go to women's meetings. Oh, thank God you said that <laughs> out loud. I uh, couldn't agree more. Yeah, go, go to women's Find meetings. Find a really great um, woman yeah. women's meeting and go to that as often as possible. Right. Yeah, because I think exactly. you know, and, and to be, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick up for men here, uh, only to the extent, oh, yeah, yeah. No. 
Like, yeah, and we're just, and, and that's what I say to men, by the way, find a good men's meeting, right? Uh, but, exactly. you know, we're waking up, right? Like, in that first mm -hmm. sort of 90 days, you know, we realize we have a penis yep. and that it works and that there's, a, yep. you know, this opposite sex, right? And so right. sort of like this, I, it's just so much better for both of us, for both men and women, if you find yes. it great. And you know what, you know what, one of the biggest gifts I've gotten out of recovery? Loving relationships okay. with other men. Right? right, which I never, Friendship. yes, right. which I never had before. Like right. true, honest to goodness friendships with. Because you're sharing at a level that is more intimate. Bingo, and I and 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 and, yeah. I, and I've allowed myself to be vulnerable with yeah. these other men, right? Yeah, and which they, is beautiful. It's it's amazing, and they've been vulnerable with me, right? And that's a bond. Yeah, and, yes, yes, and and you know, um, and tell me when to stop. But I could just keep talking about this stuff forever. But you know, this has to do with this. Um, I heard it on another one of your podcasts. Somebody said, you know, gender specific treatment was really important to me, and I just think that is just key. And here's the other thing I want to say too. When I say get to a women's meeting or women with women, men with men, I'm not bashing men. Right. You guys have your own boatload of societal issues that have been put on you. You guys have not had it easy either. So men with men, you know, women with women. Yeah. It just makes everything a lot more less complicated. No doubt about it. Because like, yeah, especially like in a treatment setting, if you put mix the genders, if you're putting down your drink or drug of choice, what do you think is going to come up next? Sex, baby. Sex. Yeah. So it's like you push it down one place. I mean, you could watch it like clockwork. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so when I worked, I mean, when I worked with women, they would get into treatment and you know what? It was all just women around, but you know what would come up? Their Sex. eating disorders, their exercise sure. bulimia, sure. Yeah. their, you know, uh, you know, Porn addiction, whatever. So it's like you push one down and the other one comes up. That's right. So I would say that to everybody. Just be aware. It's a many-headed beast. It's like a whack-a-mole. Yeah, it's a many-headed serpent, right. you know, like Medusa. It's, it's Absolutely got lots agree. of, um, yeah. Absolutely yeah. agree. Leanne, I cannot thank yeah. you enough for the time and for joining me on the Way Out podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. And... Uh, 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 for those that want to reach out to Leanne, please email share at wayoutcast.com. That is share at wayoutcast.com. I will absolutely 100% make sure that Leanne gets the message uh, and, uh, and, and, and you all get in touch. An amazing, 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 amazing Leanne. You, uh, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. So let us not be strangers, my dear. Way Outcast Faithful. Here's a wonderful opportunity to participate in an amazing online seven-day recovery summit. Sign up through the link in the summary of this podcast. At the Healing Addiction Summit, they have gathered together 29 of the world's leading experts, practitioners, and visionaries on ending addiction and preventing relapse. 
and for just seven days, from February 3rd until February 9th, 2018, you can participate for absolutely free. Each day you can watch three to five interviews, 100% free, that will equip you with a variety of proven tools and strategies for healing addiction. Everything you need to know about preventing, treating, and beating addiction packed into a powerful seven-day event you can watch free on your computer or mobile device. During the Healing Addiction Summit, you'll learn how to build a support system for your loved ones, how to heal addiction naturally, the neuroscience of addiction, strategies for intervention when and if necessary, how to spot relapse before it happens, the ideal diet for addiction and anti-relapse, the power for parenting to prevent and heal addiction, how to heal opiate addiction. Remember to use the link included in the notes of this podcast to sign up. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out, where we share stories from people just like you who have recovered from alcoholism and other addictions. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. Or drop your host a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. There you can also find links to previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podcast Garden. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, contact me at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.